Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncopharm, East Tennessee State University's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. And today we have our second in the series of uh, So You Want to Be an Oncology Pharmacist, looking at different uh, types of career paths you can take as an oncology pharmacist. So let's get to that interview. All right, we are uh, uh, pleased and uh, excited to have uh, a guest here in our um, uh, little mini series here on the different career paths available to oncology pharmacists. So I'm uh, happy to be joined by Morgan uh, Randolph today, who is a, um, a pediatric hematology oncology pharmacist at um, Virginia Commonwealth University's um, uh, Cancer Center, I guess. Um, so Morgan, thanks uh, for coming and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, Morgan. So um, you are from East Tennessee, Kingsport, Tennessee native, as I recall. So kind of walk us through uh, where you went to pharmacy school and residency and your career path thus far to, to where you are currently. Yes, I was born and raised in Kingsport, Tennessee, and then came home um, from Knoxville to ETSU for pharmacy school, and then did my PGY-1 pharmacy practice and PGY-2 oncology residencies at Wake Forest Baptist Health in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and then was lucky enough to stay there and work for two years and got to rotate between pediatrics and adults, which is kind of unheard of in the oncology world. And then my then fiance at the time, we were moving to Richmond, Virginia, and the children's pavilion or chore pavilion at the time was opening in 2016. And that's when I transitioned there when they opened this building into the outpatient PMOC and transplant clinic. And that is where I still am currently. So during, if we go back to your PGY2 year, since you stayed and did adult and peds uh, oncology afterwards. How many how many peds hemonc rotations did you do as uh, during your PGY two rotation or your PGY two year? Um, during my PGY one year, I got to split, so I did peds hemonc as a PGY one as well, only for two weeks. So just a blip on the radar, but two weeks as a PGY one, and then I did um, two rotations as a PGY two in peds hemonc specifically. And then I trained in their pediatric satellites. So I would be more capable of staffing and answering those sort of questions on the floor because I didn't get that in my oncology residency. So that was very beneficial as well. But it was mainly two months of full dedicated time out of that year in PT month. And I think you had an interest in pediatric oncology going back to school, like pharmacy school. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And I really didn't know if I wanted to do pediatrics or oncology. And I was blessed that my uh, PGY1 director let me do peds and peds up front in oncology. And my peds rotation was split between PICU and PTMOC. So I did two weeks in PICU and two weeks in PTMOC. And within the first day of PICU, I knew that I did not want to do a peds specialty residency. Um, and then absolutely fell in love with PT mock. And then the second I got to do BMT for that second rotation in oncology and fell in love. So 
it was obvious to me very early on that it was PT Monk and oncology that I wanted to pursue. And even to get to PT Monk, I needed to go the oncology route and not the not the peds route. Okay. Um, cause that's, I get this question, um, uh, fairly often from students thinking they want to be a pediatric oncology pharmacist. And I know people have done the PGY2 oncology route like you did. And I know other people who have done the, the mm-hmm. PGY2 peds route and work in hemonc. So what, what, in your opinion, what are the pros and cons of going the oncology route for PGY2 or the pediatric route for PGY2? Yeah. And I think there are certainly pros and cons. And I, my counterpart on the inpatient side here did a PGY2 impede. So we kind of bring the best of both worlds and we acknowledge where the other one's strengths are and our um, weaknesses are from that experience. My primary thing is just go with what you love the most. If you know your end goal is PTMOC, you can get there either way. But what is what do you want to spend a year learning about? Is it pediatric focused or oncology focused? And the rest you will figure out with experience. Um, for me, that was oncology. I still selfishly feel that um, peds, hemoc, um, you are better suited after an oncology residency because oncology is so specialized and you have so much to learn about oncology medications. And the even the peds, hemoc attendings, they, they know how to take care of peds from a supportive care standpoint. But some of these drugs they've never seen before. They only get three years of fellowship and it's PTMOC only. So they haven't used drugs that you only use in adults usually. So personally, I feel like the oncology um, education is priceless for taking care of these kids because you learn about things that you just wouldn't in a PETH residency. Um, my counterpart definitely knows more about supportive care and things to avoid in pediatrics and things to um, take into consideration with hydration and, you know, polyethylene glycol stuff that we didn't learn in oncology residencies. So I think, you know, you bring different things to, to the table, but personally, from an oncology standpoint, I feel like what we learn in a PGY2 oncology residency um, is just so valuable for taking care of these kids and what you can bring that no one else can. I think that makes a lot of sense, uh, Morgan. It's, it's there's some good insight there, um, especially when you think that the new drugs, all the new drugs we get approved, every new whatever inhibitor is is almost uh, universally not universally, but mostly tested in adults first. So if you had one of those scenarios mm-hmm. where you know you have a patient um, where, where you all think maybe this drug that's only approved in adults might be useful for one of your kids. And how do you figure out the dosing, for example, to use in a child or something like that? Have you encountered those scenarios? Yes. Um, we were absolutely in this scenario, I guess I would say three years now, like with nivolumab and brintuximab and, and especially our adolescents with lymphoma or, or um, certain brain tumors or other things that had certain mutations, like with targeted medicine, adult drugs are used in pediatrics all the time now. And um, expanded access protocols through the FDA are not uncommon. Um, it was not something I learned about in residency and we got here and <clears throat> it's the only way to get drug for some of these kids. Um, are calling the drug company and asking what data they have, who were the youngest patients they have ever treated. Um, some of it is 
just like off of one case report. And so it is, it is much more um, uncomfortable, but I feel like I feel better knowing how those drugs are tolerated in adults and things that we see in adults. I feel better using them had I never used them at all in anyone. Um, So even like Erlotinib, we have a 17 year old that's going to be starting that. Well, none of our providers have ever used that, but I was, I got to use it in North Carolina. So that's kind of why I go back to the oncology piece is just so invaluable, especially in the world of targeted medicine. Certainly, certainly. All right. So you have worked both as an adult hematology oncology pharmacist and a pediatric hematology oncology pharmacist. How, how How are those roles different? Um, they are similar in more ways than you would ever imagine, um, just because you're wrapping up everyone's families and not just the patient. Um, they are different in that family dynamics and pediatrics. You are taking care of someone's most loved person in their life. And it is very hard to try to get them to understand and to trust you and to let you help them through this process. Whereas um, whenever you're taking care of adults, um, there's not really that same dynamic. Um, and it's not new to everyone in the family. Usually someone, if as an adult, they've been around someone that's had cancer, they've been around someone that's been sick, they've been around someone in the hospital. For pediatrics, they're young children, but they're also young parents. And they haven't always been in a sick family member scenario. And so it's really just wrapping the whole family up with a lot of love and patience and information. And, um, and in pediatrics, something that, um, that you get asked a lot as the pharmacist, because you are sometimes the only person that's in there with not giving awful information is why did this happen to my child? What did we do that caused this? What did we do? What did they do? And that's a different question that you don't really get in adults because a lot of time we know that answer um, or it's just not relevant. And so it's just a different different type of kind of love and support that you're giving medically, but also very much socially and emotionally and everything else. Well, certainly I hadn't thought of that, that you're not, you only have young patients, you have young parents mm-hmm. are, are learning to parent too sometimes that they're learning to, to care for a, a child with cancer. Um, my experience, yeah. uh, when I, I did two, two months of PT mock rotations, and I remember there was always the protocol and available for most of these regimens. Whereas in oncology, like, yeah, we've got, we know like the regimens for full Fox, but like in PEDS, you would have the drugs, the order, the days, the labs, you would have everything there in the protocol. Is that still the case? Is, are things still heavily protocol driven? Um, in PT mock, or is there more um, uh, more art of medicine going on in PT mock, uh, like there is in adult oncology? Um, the protocols are still very much the standard of care, and how we start ninety nine percent of our patients is through a protocol through the Children's Oncology Group. It is very straightforward. That tells you exactly what to do, when, how to monitor it, what the survival is expected to be and all of those things, um, where it becomes 
art is where we get into this targeted medicine piece, refractory disease, relapse disease. And that's where it becomes a little more difficult because you can't just go to the adult relapse literature. You've got to figure out that and how would it apply to your kid. And, you know, it just, it gets more complicated after those initial protocols. Yeah. Um, What would you say um, are the unique skills you need to be a pediatric oncology pharmacist? Um. I don't know that it's unique for only PTMOC, but attention to detail in oncology period is huge, Um, but especially in PTMOC because within our protocols, you'll see that the dose may be milligrams per kilo for a certain age, and then it changes to milligrams per meter squared. And so you've got to look at age, you've got to look at their weight, you've got to look at so many different details of each drug, um, how you are administering it to that child, can their, can their size even take the volume you would typically give it in? Just a lot of details that we don't always have to think about in adult oncology are really important within PTMOC. Um, and again, I don't know that it's unique, but I think patience and perspective, um, you again are taking care of someone's child and it's hard not to put yourself in their shoes, especially as a mom of a two-year-old, and that can be a good and a bad thing. I think it helps you take better care of your kids at work, but it can also kind of cloud the picture sometimes. So just patience with yourself and with the families. They're they're terrified. They're scared. The kids don't want to be taking medicine. The kids don't want to be here with us every day. So just trying to relate and have a relationship with them where you can have a conversation they're like I know this really stinks um, for all of you and I'm really sorry how can I help and with adults it's a little bit harder to have that kind of camaraderie um, I felt like whenever I did it um, and just kind of extra compassion and grace because again if this situation stinks no child should ever have to go through this and um, so just trying to work through as a professional and on a professional level and a personal level, why are you seeing the things that you are seeing? Um, acknowledging if it, if you are taking it home um, and kind of what that, what that means, is it making you better at your job or worse at your job, better at home or worse at home? And it's just a constant kind of check-in that I feel like I did not have to do when I was taking care of adults. Yeah, I think that's really nicely said. Um, if you're taking it home, does it make you better at home or worse at home and better at work and, and worse at work? It seems that in, in Peds uh, Hemonk, the highs can be higher, but the lows can be lower um, at work, um, as I'm, I'm sure you mm-hmm. experience that. So what are the things that you really like about your position and your role right now? And then the other side, what are the things maybe you don't like so much about your role? Um, I love that I'm part of an interdisciplinary team. Um, I get to take care of kids with sickle cell disease, hemophilia, um, ITP, cancer, bone marrow transplant. So it's the whole gamut of things that um, I really don't get bored. There's always something new. There's always something to talk about and update yourself on. And um, the relationship that I get to have with these families and these kids, I um, I absolutely love. 
and walking into work and knowing that you get to make a difference. And they, everyone says, how do you do that? Isn't it so sad? And like nine times out of 10, our clinic is a very happy place. There are kids dancing and singing and playing and um, less with COVID and, you know, everything going on. But um, it is normally like a wonderful place to be with very happy things. You're getting to watch these kids fight and majority of them, they don't feel terrible. They don't even realize really what is going on. This has become their new normal. And they see us more than they see their friends at school. So you get to be part of people's lives at like the most vulnerable time. And to me, that's a blessing. Um, the hardest parts are the lows, as you mentioned. Um, they tend to come in you know, groups and those are really hard weeks and really hard times. And um, and we got a um, a new chaplain that has made us actually like sit and acknowledge each of those and not just pass them by for the people in front of us. And that's been, I think, really good to everyone, especially over the last couple of years and the things that have um, been going on in everyone's world in healthcare. Um, and so that's been um, an added thing that has kind of turned that con into um, something with a little bit of good. Um, but something that they also never teach you in pharmacy school or residency is that as a clinical pharmacist, especially in PEDS, you have to do a lot of PAs and medication access issues and the kid won't take this. So what can it be flavored with? Can this be crushed? Can this be, you name it, they ask it. And so um, that's something that uh, I've learned with practice, but it's not something that you're taught. And some days it, um, you know, you just want to say, can you just force them to take it? But as a mom, which I've appreciated and learned from that side of things is you can't. And so while that part is frustrating for me and how to figure that out for all these families, I think I now have a better understanding and appreciation for why someone has to fight for those things. And so I'm glad it gets to be me, but it, it, it can be a difficult part of this job. Yeah, a lot of a lot of time on the phone and head against door sort of activities with that with those things. All right, mm -hmm. uh, Morgan, you've been so gracious with your time. Last question for you: uh, What advice would you give to a student who's listening to this and says, "Gosh, this sounds like the job for me"? What advice would you give to that student or even PGY one resident who wants to uh, follow in your footsteps and be a, a pediatric oncology pharmacist? I would personally say to pursue a PGY2 in oncology that has the opportunity to do rotations in pediatrics. I know that's not always available at each center. And so if you can find somewhere that has pediatrics, PEDS, HEMOC, and oncology, then I think you would get the best of all of those worlds and make sure that that's really something that you can do day in and day out. Um, is it something that seems good on paper or is it something you can really live and breathe and do. Um, so I think personally PGY2 in oncology and just beyond that, you have more flexibility with jobs. If you do say, I can't do pediatrics anymore, you know, five years into it, you need to do adults. You have that option versus if you'd only do a PGY2 in pediatrics, gung-ho on PTMOC, job markets and everything else changes. You don't really give yourself many options after that. So um, that is what I think is the best thing to do to pursue that and just do rotations early on in pharmacy school and PGY1 and 
kind of see both sides. It was very obvious to me that oncology was what I needed to do versus peds, but it may not be that way for everyone. So I think just early exposure and make sure that you're giving yourself every opportunity to see what there is to see within both oncology and pediatrics and get from there. Yeah. And you did a peds rotation as a student, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Okay. I, so did, to, I did at least one or two. Yeah. And oncology. I did oncology at the VA and fell in love. And then I did pediatrics and the NICU and fell in love. And I was like, okay, that's why I have to do these two whenever I get to my TGY1. Yeah. Sometimes students don't overthink it. If you fall in love with something, you know, don't overthink it and try and combine those like Morgan has done. All right. Well, thank you so much, Morgan. Thank you.